And open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, verse 16. We're in a series on Abraham and Sarah walking by faith. We're in the midst of this uh, time that God came to visit with uh, Abraham and Sarah, Jesus and two angels. And so we've come down to verse 16. And this is the word of God. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have not chosen, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And then join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to you for your giving us your word. Father, that Jesus Christ is our cornerstone, that we have a mighty fortress in you, our great God. Father, the battle that rages is great. And Father, we thank you that you fight for us. We thank you that Jesus Christ will win the victory, that his kingdom is forever. So, Father, as we consider that this morning, we pray for your Spirit's help now to grasp your truth here. Father, take it to apply it to our lives, we would pray. Uh, and this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, just to point out to you, we're glad to have Kennedy's here this morning. Some of you, have, you always are asking me about that. Some, one of the two most common questions I get, where's Kennedy? How's Kennedy? Kennedy's alive. He's well, and he's sitting right there. So, in case you're wondering... Uh, right in between Bob and Kim. So we're glad he's here this morning. Well, no, but you did laugh. And with that comment by Jesus to Sarah, a very awkward conversation and lunch ends. Abraham's three guests, whom we know now are Jesus and two angels, are leaving. They've enjoyed their time of fellowship with Abraham and Sarah. Uh, Abraham and Sarah have shown themselves to be wonderful hosts. The next destination of the guests are now the cities of the Jordan River Plain, uh, and in particular, Sodom and Gomorrah. So Abraham walks alongside of them to the place where you can look down from the hills uh, onto the plain, and you get a good view of Sodom, Gomorrah, and the other cities of the plain. Now, this is a site Abraham's going to return to the next morning. Uh, he's been here before. Uh, it's with his net was with his nephew Lot when he came the last time. Uh, they needed to go their separate ways. Lot had looked out over the fruitful plain and chosen to live near Sodom. It was a beautiful valley. Uh, from all appearances, Sodom, a very prosperous city, uh, and Lot was unconcerned about the spiritual danger there. And it may be that Abraham often visited this spot to look out and think about and pray for his nephew. Uh, who now lives in the city of Sodom. And this is a place where we will have one of the great prayers of the Bible uh, that we'll look at next week. 
Abraham's pleading with God to spare the cities of the plain, including Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a prayer that comes from the heart of Abraham. It's a heart that has a passion for God and has compassion for God's world. And this morning, that's what we want to look at. This passion, this compassion uh, that I believe is necessary for our 2021 graduates to have to live the life of love that God calls them to. So let's go to the text. We're going to begin with the perspective from the mountain. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. Now, what do Abraham and uh, Jesus and the two angels see when they look out? Well, probably first they notice the, the beauty of God's world. We saw a description of what, what they saw back in chapter 13. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. I mean, they see the glory of God's creation as they look out. So the plain itself rivals the Garden of Eden in its beauty. You know, today we look out and we do see a beautiful world. All of nature reflects to us the, the glory of our great God. But they also see what we traditionally call the city of man. And that is, they see cities built by people. Uh, and these are cities that in many ways also reflect the glory of God. Uh, because they've been built by people made in God's image, uh, who, um, who have God's common grace, and they've been blessed to create these cities. They're centers of manufacturing and of trade, of education. Uh, the cities are the places where the arts flourish. Uh, but sadly, of course, because of sin, cities often become dens of iniquity, and some more than others. We're told back in chapter 13 that the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Temptation abounds in the city, and many fall prey to it. Now here's the thing. Despite that, we're called to be involved in the cities where we live. We see that call in Jeremiah 29.7 where he challenges the exiles living in Babylon. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So we're definitely called to impact our cities. Uh, we're to be aware that as we do it though, we cannot create the kingdom of God on earth by emphasizing the city of man. All we got to realize that the city of man that we see and that we're involved with faces destruction. We see that over in Revelation 18 with the destruction of Babylon there to represent all the cities of the world. So as we look out from this mountain, we must see the world as we look to, to Gainesville and Flyer Branch, Oakwood, Houston, Brazelton. We look around and we praise God for the beauty that we see. But friends, we've got to see the people. And we've got to see their needs. And we've got to seek to meet them in the places where they are. And most of all, we've got to see that people need the gospel. Second, 
We must realize that we're the recipients of grace and that we have privilege on the mountain. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Now, I know there's a lot of talk about privilege today. Let me tell the graduates that the real privilege is to be the people of God. We have the privilege of being the family of God. We have the privilege of having fellowship with God. Why is that? Because we have the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. We have the gift of eternal life. We have the forgiveness of our sins. We have the great privilege, as we saw two weeks ago, to be called the friends of God. You remember what we said about that friendship, the friends, that a key part of being friends is confiding in people, somebody we can talk to. It's having meaningful discussions with people. That's what we discover here. God is going to confide in his friend Abraham what he's going to do. Just stop and see how incredible that is. The God of the universe is going to discuss his plans with Abraham. But keep in mind, God confides in us what he's going to do. You see, we're the recipients of God's word. God gives us the privilege of knowing who God is, of knowing what God has done for us, of knowing how God wants us to live as his family, as his friends in this book. God's word tells us what God's agenda for this world is. The same as 3.7 tells us, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. I mean, we know what the future is like. We know what eternity is like because God gives us a sneak preview in his word. We have the privilege of knowing the word of God. We have the privilege of watching God interact with his world. And when we study the story of Jonah, God's compassion on Nineveh stands out. And here God's compassion on Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities of the plain will stand out as he reveals his concern and we shall see his plan, the compassion he has on this world. And friends, that compassion is the promise to bless. Notice it says, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. As we've already seen from the beginning of Abraham and Sarah's story, God is going to bless them to make them a blessing. He will use them to bless the entire world, all the nations of the world. Do you realize how overwhelming that must have been as a promise to to two people who lived on a tent on land they didn't own in the Middle East? Normally, of course, we know that that blessing is centered on the one who's doing the talking here, and that's Jesus Christ. It's mind-boggling to consider that this one talking to Abraham is the one who will become the baby born in Bethlehem. But God's ultimate blessing for his people is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
the cross where Jesus died for our sins. And already, Abraham has been a blessing to some of the nations, to the cities of the plain. Already we saw Abraham, sort of a Rambo-type action, won a great military victory for them. And he rescued the cities of the plain from the uh, Mesopotamian River Alliance that had come and invaded the land. And friends, already the church has been a blessing to the world in so many ways. Check out the origins of hospitals for the sick, of orphanages for children. It's the church that inspired great music and great literature and great art. It's the church that started universities and schools. The church's contribution to this world is extraordinary. It's truly been a blessing to the world. Now, of course, today that, that history is under attack, that reality. Our nation's government has filed lawsuits against Christian doctors and hospitals who refuse to do so-called sex reassignment surgery on children and adults. It's our nation that's filing lawsuits against Christian adoption and foster care uh, groups. It's our nation that's trying to force Christian colleges to assign biological males as roommates for biological females. The government's doing all of that today. Opposition to the church and to the freedom of religion is growing. A member of parliament in Finland, she's a doctor, she has five children. She's facing six years in prison based on three different charges of hate speech because she's declared that she believes that what the Bible says about marriage and about being male and female is true. A 71-year-old pastor in London last week was arrested for street preaching and reading from Genesis 1 that God created people as male and females in the image of God. Friends, it's coming. So what do we do? Well, Jesus outlines the program to participate for us. Verse 19. For I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised here. Now, we emphasized last week the grace shown to Sarah, that God made her the recipient of the promise of the birth of Isaac despite her performance. Why is that? Because we stand in a grace relationship with God as his children. Friends, we need to realize this. Uh, Given time, real saving grace will always fuel obedience and holiness. Always. Always. God's grace. No, it's not about our performance. It's not about earning his blessing or favor. God's grace is a pure gift. But those who receive his favor will want righteousness, will want holiness, will want to seek to live God's way, will want to be like Jesus. God's people who have received his grace will want to put forth effort, 
will desire to serve God out of love and gratitude for his grace and promise of blessing. Living a life of love is living by God's commands. Uh, Jesus reminds us, this is my commandment, that you love one another so that your joy may be full. Let me say to the class of 2021, grace is an essential word to have in our vocabulary. Mercy is an essential word to have in our vocabulary. Faith is an essential word to have in our vocabulary. Holiness is an essential word to have in our vocabulary. Obedience is an essential word for us to have in our vocabulary. Love is an essential word to have in our vocabulary. Do not run from any of these words. They come from the Bible, and they are for us. These are words that should produce our passion for God. These are words that should flow from our passion for God. May I suggest that our obedience to the law of love is the way we show compassion for the world. Standing in a grace relationship with God produces holiness that shows us we're different from the world. God chose Abraham to show the dramatic difference between God's people and people that are attached to the things of this world. It's a dramatic difference that God intends to show up from generation to generation among his people. Because Abraham and Sarah are God's people. They are to teach their children God's way in God's world. Faith must be communicated to the next generation. Friends, the relationship we have between God and his people is not merely an external one. It's not just joining the church and baptism, though it is that. But it's one that transforms Abraham and his children and us internally so that instead of living according to our standards, we will seek and keep the way of the Lord. We'll want to do what's right and what's just, even as God is righteous and just. And if you were to go to an Atlanta Braves baseball game this year, you would see a lot of people in Braves t-shirts and hats and probably even some Braves replica jerseys. You see a lot of uh, Freddie Freemans running around. Um, and, uh, and some of the people, might, they might be indistinguishable from the Braves players, you know? So how are you going to know the difference? Well, watch who plays the game and watch how they play the game. Performance will reveal who the real Braves are. And friends, it's how we play the game, if you will. It's how we live that should reveal that we belong to Jesus Christ. We're his family. We're his friends. Let me just say somewhere... Across the last 30 years, people have taken the concept of grace and they have misapplied it. They've used grace as a reason to become as much like the world as possible. To talk like the world, to walk like the world, to dress like the world. That's not the point of grace. 
Grace lived out will distinguish us from the world, not make us indistinguishable from the world. Jesus said his way is the narrow way. It's the hard way. It's not the broad way. It's not the interstate that he warns leads to destruction. Over the last years, I've often heard people say, the only difference between us and the world is that we're forgiven. Well, that is a major difference. I would certainly agree with that. Um, But may I say that if that's the only difference, we're not listening to Jesus. Passion for Jesus will want to live like Jesus. And the world wants none of that. We're called to pursue compassion for the world, justice, caring for people, living lives of love as we have the opportunity. And no, we cannot fix everything in our world. We cannot repair all the wrongs of the past. We cannot create a perfect society. But we can love people well, the people that are around us, the people that God brings into our lives, the people that we can seek out. And friends, that's all people. And that love should reach out to those who are in the pagan predicament, those who face destruction and eternity in hell, unless they hear the gospel and respond to it. Verse 20, then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done it all together according to the outcry that's come to me. And if not, I will know. What we know so far is that Sodom is a pretty wicked place. Two weeks we'll get the details on just how wicked and we will be astonished. And yes, missions is first and foremost about the glory of God. Absolutely. But friends of our hearts are not grieved by the thought of a single person facing eternity in hell. That we've not grasped the seriousness of people not becoming believers in Jesus Christ and how horrible hell is. How absolutely necessary the Great Commission is. And all that we've said so far then leads to the talk here about our posture with God. Verse 22. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. So what can we as the people of God do? What can Abraham do? What difference can he make for Sodom and Gomorrah? Where do we begin to make a difference in our world? Now verse 22 is an interesting verse. It's one we might rush over in the the text in order to, to get to what follows. But that would be a mistake. Now, as we read the verse, the ESV translation says, Abraham still stood before the Lord. Some of you might have a footnote in your Bible that suggests a different reading, that it may actually read, but the Lord still stood before Abraham. And I'm going to say for a variety of reasons, I believe that's the best translation of the text. Um, what we have here is a remarkable prelude to what's about to happen, and that's prayer. God is standing before Abraham. He's detained himself, ready to hear his prayer. Our access to God comes because he makes himself available to us. There Jesus stands, ready to hear from Abraham. From such an action, we see God's desire for us to pray, to confide in him. 
You know, we often speak of prayer as entering into the throne room of God himself and speaking to him, and that's a good picture. That's a great picture of prayer. Nothing wrong with that. But also we need to think sometimes that God is right here. He's right in front of us. He's right at hand, and he desires to hear what we have to say. That's the picture here. And that's what prayer is. It's, it's speaking with the God of the universe. It's, it's confiding in the God of the universe as one pr- talks with a friend. God is our friend. And friends, our prayer arises from a passion for God. Our prayer also reveals compassion for God's world. Our passion is to pray for God's glory. And our compassion is to pray for a broken, sick world that's enslaved by sin and that desperately needs to know God. As we've said, we're privileged to know the plan of God. We know the ultimate end of all those who reject Jesus and pursue their own course of life. We know there's going to be an eternal distinction between people, the ones who know God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and will spend eternity with Him, and the ones who do not know God through Jesus Christ and will spend eternity separated from Him. Friends, we cannot be apathetic about people's eternity. Our passion for God must show itself in compassion for His world. We know firsthand the gospel's freed us. We want a lifestyle that shows that gospel. We want to back it up what we pray. In 1836, God captured David Livingston's heart with a few words from veteran missionary Robert Moffat about what he'd seen in Africa. He said, I've sometimes seen in the morning sun the smoke of a thousand villages where no one has ever heard the name of Christ. Friends, we need to stand on top of this mountain. Great place to do it is to climb to the top of this building. If you do that, just tell you you've got a great view to look out. You can look north towards Gainesville and the North Georgia Mountains. You look south towards Atlanta, southeast. You can look south, uh, southwest rather, southeast towards Athens. You can look across Brazelton and Houston and, and uh, Oakwood and uh, Flyer Branch. And I will tell you this, you will not see the smoke of a thousand villages, all right, um, coming uh, there. Uh, I hope not, um, if you do call the fire department. But uh, at night, you will see thousands and thousands of lights shining from homes that live in spiritual darkness. That's what you'll see. Uh, And before we can do anything, before we can carry that true light to this community that we sang about, to the ends of the earth that we sang about this morning as we gathered for worship. Friends, we have, we have to pray. We have to pray. So what about us? There's an old cartoon, a clip from the paper years ago, maybe 40 years ago, I don't know, it's been a long time, kept in, in my Bible. Um, and some of you will remember cartoons about a, a little character named Ziggy. Um, and, uh, but, but Ziggy in this particular cartoon was, was reading a sign. And the sign said this, Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And that's what graduation is. It's commencement. 
It's, uh, it's the beginning of the rest of your life. And that's true for you graduates, but that's really true for all of us today. So as we begin, let me remind us, you know, we can often be dismayed and discouraged about the world around us. Um, of, of, um, but as we do, I, I want you to think of something Leonard Ravenhill said that I've had on a bookmark for years as well. And he said this, the future is as bright as the promises of God. The future is as bright as the promises of God. And those are incredible promises. What kept Abraham and Sarah going were the promises of God. The promise of Isaac. The promise to be a blessing. The promise of tomorrow. Hebrews 11.10 tells us, For he was looking forward to the city whose foundations that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That's the city we're looking for. See, what will keep the class of 21 going in the days ahead? What will keep all of us going in the days ahead? What is it going to be? Maybe we'll have a passion like Filipino graphic artist and collector Percival Lugay. Percival has amassed a supersized collection of fast food restaurant toys. 20,000 of them. Well, you've got to commit your life to something, folks, all right? Uh, and right now he has all 20,000 in his house. He hopes to have a museum someday to display them in. Okay. So what earthly treasures do you want to accumulate? Do you want to commit your life to accumulate? What about an amazing opportunity? Maybe, maybe you're into the experience and you don't want stuff. You want an experience. Well, SpaceX mastermind and billionaire entrepreneur and Saturday Night Live guest host Elon Musk recently described the journey to Mars that he believes is on the nearby horizon. Perhaps within five years, he said, maybe about 20 uh, 26. And he was asked, you know, isn't, uh, isn't your mission to Mars just some escape hatch for rich people? And here's what he said. Going to Mars reads like that ad for Shackleton going to the Antarctic. It's dangerous. It's uncomfortable. It's a long journey. I'm sure of that. Uh, you might not come back alive. Honestly, a bunch of people probably will die in the beginning. But it's a glorious adventure. And it will be an amazing experience. Well, it does sound like an experience. Uh, great. An opportunity to die on a mission to Mars. Hmm. All right. Uh, let me give you a third option. All right. How about an opportunity to, to live for Christ and to die for Christ? Now, let me just say, if, if we truly have a passion for God, we're going to have compassion for his world and we're going to want to live in such a way, a life of love, that we're going to reach people with the gospel. We're going to do that. But let's be realistic. Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ was going to make people in the world hate us. That's hatred to the point that some of us will die. That's not my opinion, that's fact. Revelation 6, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? 
And they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Restaurant toys, a space experience, or faithful, grace-fueled obedience to Jesus Christ. Which is it for you? Whatever it is, it's time to pray. So let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you. We thank you that you have given us a cornerstone to build our lives on, Jesus Christ. Father, we're thankful that you have given us your grace, Lord. You've saved us, Lord. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. Father, it's your gift to us, to all who believe. And our prayer is that each person here does believe, Lord. And if not, today would be the day that you draw them to faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray for those of us who are believers, Lord, that that grace would show us to be different in our passion and in our compassion. Father, that grace would fuel in our lives an obedience, a holiness that lives a life of love towards the world around us. Father, reaching out to show love, Father, whatever needs people have. But, Father, especially to share with them the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, you are an amazing God. Jesus is an amazing Savior. So, Father, may we be people who pray. And, Father, as we pray... May you use us for your glory. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.